0: All righty, got ourselves a, another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. Pleased to be joined by a return guest. He's an editor at DauberHockey.com. It's Ian Gooding. We're bringing him on to talk about the Canucks. It's, uh, it's the offseason, and the Canucks have had uh, a tumultuous one. So, Ian, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, thanks. How are you, Steve?
0: I am doing pretty fantastic. I just uh, – it's a Sunday, and I just watched the Ravens lose a uh, – lose a tough one to a division rival in the Steelers and there was fans in the stands for that one and they were waving bye to the fans. And so it was a, it was a real mean one and uh, I'm feeling a little bit down on the, on the sports front,
1: but, uh,
0: but the rest of my life is fine. So it's,
1: (laughs) I didn't know you were a Ravens fan, but yeah, I was watching the end of that game. That was a, a bit of a tough loss for them there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I had a bit of an emotional hedge I, I bet on the Steelers, both on the line as well as the money line and got, I kind of I kind of figured the Ravens were we're going to step in it today and it was a good game and it was it was a tough loss and those games are always good so um tough shit. Um, yeah, we got, we got the better of them last year. They're getting the better of us this year. It seems so.
1: I guess so. That's one of the NFL's best rivalries right there is Ravens and Steelers. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I kind of thought Baltimore would win. I mean, it being a home game and, you know, Pittsburgh's undefeated. I thought maybe it would come to an end in Baltimore, but I guess, you know, it looked like a bit of a back and forth game, but, uh, wasn't meant to be. I mean, right now I've got, uh, um, you know one of the league's other best rivalries on right now, which is the Seahawks and 49ers. So that should be uh, shaping up to be a good game as well.
0: Yeah, all it really takes for these rivalries. I mean, the NFL does a really good job of making sure that they showcase these rivalry games where you play everyone more than you in your division more than you play anyone else. And then when you're really good for a long time, and it helps having some doormats in your division to make that happen. Then you get to play these teams sometimes up to three times in a season, and that really gets the competitive juices flowing. And just with the stakes of every single game, it just ignites things so much more. Like every every play really does seem like life or death. And in the NHL, it, it doesn't seem like we're we've had a rivalry like that in quite some time. I know Oilers Flames got there a little bit this past season, but we haven't really had those teams facing off in the playoffs often enough to really ignite those rivalries the same way that you have them in the NFL. And we're looking at me, we might have an all Canadian division this season. So that's a real, real good chance to get maybe some of those rivalries going again, where teams might in a 48 game season, you might, you might play the flames and Canucks eight times and, you might play them in a playoff series as well so up to 15 times in one season and oh my goodness would that ever get the rivalries back going
1: yeah i mean that's pretty exciting i mean we haven't you know i, I think it not just the the regional rivalries like the you know the battle of alberta and the canucks you know with the uh the oilers and the flames which i think are rivalries that could be stronger from vancouver's end but now you got that cross-country one now you can build or that rivalry with the the leafs and the habs and even the senators i mean it's an exciting time i mean i know the you know usually the divisions are designed by time zone and that seems to be the most important consideration here but uh you know with, with covid it might be you know, give hockey fans a little bit of an extra treat to, you know, build up these, to have, have this Canadian division and, and build up these rivalries that we haven't built up. I mean, I know in, in Vancouver when the Leafs or the Habs come in, there's usually a swarm of people that are wearing uh, Leafs or Habs jerseys that's the same for, for Edmonton and Calgary. So, you know, that's, that, could, you know that, that could be a really great rivalry to, to kind of build up um and we could see it for a year although the other the other side to that is that we may not have fans in the stands I mean, at least in the beginning this year it's hard to say well, how that's going to play out but uh you know I'm, I'm i'm really looking forward to it
0: absolutely but i mean if we can't even have body checking in the ohl i don't know how we're getting fans in the stands in canada
1: Yeah, I know. Hopefully that's not a trickle down that uh, um, is going to affect other leagues as well. I, I, you know, I much rather see body checking. I mean, if they just, you know, if if you think body checking is risky and then you might as well just, you know, shut down an entire hockey game, because I think there's a lot more player interactions um, that occur on and off the ice that, you know, that, that would make this virus transmit um just the way that the body checking would so uh, you know yeah I I mean I'd rather see a game with no body checking than no hockey at all um so it's kind of tough but I would kind of like to see the game just you know the the way that it's being played without you know without this sort of you know no no body checking no hitting or just it'd be really tough for the refs to enforce something like that too like any sort of body contact was that a body check was it not do we do you call a penalty for body checking now it's you know I I don't know it's this, this this is a really tough one
0: well they have no body checking in the women's game and I've always argued for years like you could get rid of body checking and you would still have a very physical game because anyone who's watched the women's game, it's not like there isn't extreme amounts of physical contact, which kind of gets to the crux of why eliminating body checking is like, it's, it's, it's just not the correct solution. But I think that if you went back to the Ontario government and you complained about how eliminating body checking isn't actually solving the problem that they're trying to solve, then you're just not getting hockey at all and I think that this is what if I was a little bit more conspiratorial I'd I'd suggest that this was someone's scheme to get body checking out of hockey but honestly I think this is just the, the consequence of what happens when people who don't understand things are involved in the politics of them and then they start doling out legislation and making decisions on things that they aren't experts in and they don't know what they're talking about and they don't know what they're deciding and if they just don't want to have contact sports which has as far as i know has been the edict from all the medical experts in ontario then that's fine but you aren't solving the problem by eliminating body checking
1: not not from a COVID standpoint anyway. I mean, it's, uh, I'd, I'd forgotten about the women's game, and that could be a, a precedent that they could use if they're to run the season with no body checking. But I think this has got to be more, you know, these types of rule changes um, need, I think, a bit more investigation. And um, you also have to it's almost like they have to start at the lower levels. I mean, I know the body checking when I played minor hockey years and years ago, it was, um, it was in peewees when it started at age 12, it was when it introduced and they kind of, I think they, at that time they lowered the age. Um, I'm not sure what, you know, my, my son plays rec hockey. He doesn't really play that competitively. So I don't know what the, the actual age of the body checking starts and varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So, um, I almost think that you've got to start if, if you're going to ban it at the OHL. You've got to start at the, you know, at the younger ages first, um, so that the kids are taught to play without body checking, um, so that they're ready for it at the OHL, as opposed to having to, you know, sort of phase it phase it out from players, especially players who who play a certain way, maybe who's, you know, where we're hitting is a big part of their game and why they got there.
0: And anytime you have these kind of grand rule changes it almost seems like there's this lost generation that gets caught in the middle where they don't learn the game played that certain way like when things really started getting shifted around with regard to how they called stick checking and, and stuff like that and it, t- it it seemed like it took five ten years for the game to shift more to this skill-based game when they started trying to lean towards more of a a faster game and it seemed like the best players from before that era remained the best players because at all you had this group of kids coming up who just got caught in between where they didn't really learn the best aspects of either one so they didn't necessarily get to the highest level and then it took another 10 years for for the kids to catch up and learn all these to play that much more skill game and now we're seeing it today where players are coming in and they're the best players in the game almost immediately.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no I agree. That's that's a good point. It's uh you know, it's, you're seeing a different type of player now succeeding. You're seeing, say, you know, I always think that that a player like a Quinn Hughes for the Canucks um, would have never been able to make the NHL back when I was a kid, um, or at least, you know, back in the 1980s, or at least if if he did, then he wouldn't be, nearly as dominant a player as uh, as he is because the game has changed back then it was you know you needed size 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 and defense you needed that defensive defenseman you know now you can load the opposite way if you take a, a Norris trophy winner from back then like rod langway and you were able to put him to, in today's game you know yeah he might he might be there he, he might be able to, to stick in that game but he wouldn't be you know, he wouldn't be a Norris trophy nominee I, i'm pretty sure of that
0: I mean, there was the odd outlier. You had the Dan Boyles and the Brian Campbells as examples of some smaller type offensive defensemen, but they were the exception, not the rule. And it seems like every single team has one of these type of players coming up either in the system or already making an impact. But that's a a real good segue with Quinn Hughes. We brought you on to talk about the Canucks. And the last time we talked about the Canucks, we were talking about what seemed like it might be a bit of an exodus of talent, but I don't think we were quite prepared for the sheer volume of talent that the Canucks would shed. And we also talked about how it seemed like we were exiting the honeymoon phase where now there was going to be expectations. So with talent lost and expectations on the rise, where are Canucks fans at
1: now? Yeah, it's been a really tough offseason. I mean, I was kind of before this, everything happened. I would have said, I didn't think the Canucks were keeping all three of Markstrom, Tanev, and Tofoli. I was hoping they would keep two out of the three. Uh, but realistically, I was thinking that they would only keep one. Now, <laughs> they haven't been able to keep any of them um however in the process they were able to pick up Nate Schmidt who was able to to help their defense.
0: Schmidt was a real good get for them on defense and I mean to a certain extent he upgrades their defense and you could see where you would get really excited because if there's anything that I learned from these playoffs it's that you have to have a defenseman on each of your top two pairs that can drive the pairing. And certainly Quinn Hughes is one of those. And I think Schmidt is another one of those. So if they can have those two on, on their own pairing and and driving things, they can suddenly be a, a bit more of a possession team than they were in the past. But if that comes at the expense of arguably their MVP in goaltender, Jacob Markstrom, then I don't know if they came out, ultimately ahead.
1: So you could argue that Schmidt is an upgrade over both Tanev and Stetcher, um, which might make their defense better. They are going to have to bring in um, a youngster, probably somebody like a Ole Olevy, Jaden Chatfield, um, or Brogan Rafferty, or sort of a rotation of those, uh, those defensemen. Um, You know, I think there's, you know, if you're looking at the, just the defense, I mean, there was, there was an opportunity, I think, to keep Stetcher, though, at the same time, considering what he earned with Detroit, um, what he was able to, but I think a big part of why the Canucks offseason maybe didn't uh, transpire as uh, as expected um, had a lot to do with the Oliver ekman Larson deal and trying to get something like that to work. Um, in the end, I think it would have just been too costly for the Canucks had they given up, uh, you know, what Arizona wanted in return, not to mention taking on uh, OEL's salary, which has like seven years left on it. Um, so it was really a blessing in disguise that Schmidt landed in their laps, even if it, they ended up getting Peter, Petrangelo, uh, the golden Knights and were able to upgrade their defense that way. But, um, you know, they, they were pretty lucky, I think with, uh, you know, able to get Schmidt for, for a third round pick when normally a defenseman like that would, you know, cost at least a, a first or maybe a established player.
0: Yeah. If you think about what this offseason could have been with an exodus of all this talent, And if they would have ended up overpaying for Ekman-Larsen in terms of assets, and then on top of that, you've got this cumbersome contract, and instead they get Schmidt almost for free at a cheaper cost, and frankly, probably a better defenseman. I don't know, maybe the jury is out on that, and if Schmidt were tasked with being the number one defenseman in Arizona, he wouldn't look nearly as good as he was as the number two defenseman in vegas but i think that schmidt's still a well-defined asset maybe just not depreciating as fast as ekman larson is and so i think that the way that things shook out at least on defense stetcher aside i think that maybe that was just a situation where the player was lowballed a little bit by the team. And then it's just, well, now, I'm now I'm on the free market. So I'm going to find myself a home before the money dries out because players of his ilk have had a tough time finding contracts.
1: Yeah. And I think with Stetcher, it would have, if, you know, if he waited a few more hours, it's possible that he could have re-signed with the Canucks. I think the problem was as well as I think they walked away from the OEL deal and then sort of focused, turned their attention for Markstrom for a bit and then when they realized Markstrom was going to get away, they signed Brayden Holtby. And I think once they realized Tanev got away, then, oh, here's Tyson Berry. Um, let's see if we can get after Tyson Berry. Oh, no, nope. Tyson Berry's going to Edmonton. Um, hey, Stetcher, are you, uh, you know, can you wait a bit? No, I can't. I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've got an offer in my hand from Detroit here. Sorry. So, yeah, it's, you know, I, I kind of wonder what direction the Canucks would have gone had, Schmidt not being available um, they would have had to really pay up to get a defense defenseman um, who knows maybe they would have reopened the OEL uh, trade again they maybe tried to make a you know Arizona an offer they were rumored to be interested in Thatcher Demko so um, but I mean that's a problem with uh, with free agent day when normally July 1st is that you have all these moving pieces and you kind of have to make sure that you're not left high and dry, particularly in you know, one important area.
0: I wonder if this wasn't a case of the Canucks once again, kind of getting screwed by some slight wrinkle in the rules where it seemed like they were juggling a ton of balls trying to line up this situation where they could, they didn't want to risk spending too much, but they also wanted to figure out a way to upgrade their defense. And so they're juggling all these contract balls, but because there was no like legal tampering period, they got rid of that this year, probably, for the worse, but maybe for the better. I don't know. It depends on everyone's perspective. But by not having it, they couldn't, like, they could they could tamper with their own players. They had that. But they couldn't go out and see what else they could get on the market. And so for a team that wanted to upgrade, they were really stuck in a situation. Okay, we could probably figure out something concrete with our players now. But it doesn't offer us the opportunity of... Upgrading. And so there was an opportunity cost to committing to their own players. And ultimately, they decided to gamble and they got bailed out by Schmidt f- falling in their laps. But otherwise, it, it could have been disastrous.
1: Yeah, and I kind of wonder, I mean, I know that COVID changes things, but I kind of wish that the NHL would bring back this legal tampering period, the one that they had before, because honestly, I, I really have a hard time believing that teams are not talking to players prior, uh, free agent players, you know, prior to the free agency period. I realize it may not be direct. It might be, you know, a GM on the phone with an agent. and They're talking about one player that's you know under a team's contract which is legal but then oh by the way you know about so and so right um you know and then the dialogue sort of it goes from there i i I, don't, I really don't know how that all all plays out but uh you know when you see free agency open and somebody has a contract signed within half an hour i just you know let's just kind of keep it on the on the open here and uh and let you know, and and let them do it. But I think a big, I think I should mention too here is that something that really hurt the Canucks here um, was the COVID situation of not having that revenue come in potentially from their remaining games and from um, playoff games. Had they, would they have been able, should they have been able to make the playoffs if the season had been played normally? Um, You know, the ownership really had to, you know, really after years of just overspending and money not being an issue, they had to say, okay, maybe we can't afford, um, we can't afford to sign somebody like Markstrom to a max contract. We can't buy out somebody like Brandon Sutter um, or Antoine Roussel. Um, we just can't, we, it doesn't make sense for us to, to pay money to players who aren't playing here anymore. So, you know, it really, I think when they made the Toffoli trade, they were really considering having, uh, you know, that, that, that they had the, the room to re-sign him. It was going to be tight, but they were going to have the room to re-sign him. Um, but then COVID hit, revenues were down, and then it just became, you know, it, it just, it became impossible.
0: Yeah, that trade was pre-COVID, right? It was the same as the C U pickup for the Oilers. So you end up giving up these assets in the Canucks case, uh, a solid prospect in Madden, as well as a second round pick. And in the Oilers case, two second round picks, valuable assets for what ended up being what eight regular season games and a handful of playoff games, like not the type of investment that you'd necessarily want. It's all worth it if you end up getting some glory, but neither team did. Although the Canucks certainly fared better than the Oilers did. They, they got more bang for their buck on that trade. But yeah, like the, the cap staying flat, it, it hurt a lot of teams who not only are they pinching pennies just in terms of actual money, but also in, in terms of the cap, they were expecting to have room and be able to take advantage of a, a flourishing Canadian market. And instead, they have neither the cap room nor the nor the money to do anything.
1: Yeah. And it was, it wasn't just the Canucks. I mean, there were other teams that were going to going into this off season that were going to have these financial issues. Um, you know, you know, maybe a more extreme example would Arizona, of course, with trying to trade, you know, pushing hard to trade Oliver Ekman Larson because you know, that, that was a, you know, that, that, that was a big contract. Um, and then going into a rebuild mode, they, they had to look into it um you know you start you see guys like mike hoffman um who hasn't been signed anywhere um you know this it seems like he's gotten offers that maybe might seem a bit like they're lowball at this point so it's you would usually would think, think that a player with him like him would be signed by now so You know, at the same time, there's a lot of these other players now that are making, you know, look at all the short term deals as well. All the one year contracts where players are saying, "Okay, I'll just, you know, I'll just take this little short bridge deal here and then hopefully, you know, things are a little more back to normal by, uh, you know, by the end of next season. And, uh, you know, and then I can I, I can go for that contract that I think I deserve.
0: And the Canucks, it seemed like they were really hopeful to be one of those teams that was swimming in the short-term bridge-type contract, regardless of whether there was cap dollars available or not. Like It it seemed like they really wanted to protect their cap space going forward because they do have some burdensome contracts on the books. And they know that after this coming season, they've got a huge bill coming with both Pedersen and Hughes. So what last time when we were talking about what they might do in in terms of this off season, one of the things was they really have this delicate balance with Markstrom where if they give him too much term or a no movement clause, then this thing could blow up on them because they could have a rapidly depreciating asset that they can't get rid of. And, they could end up losing a guy like Demko who maybe is more a part of their future than Markstrom would be. So really they just want to have Markstrom for a couple of years and then be able to get out of him. And instead he goes to Calgary where he gets the full meal. He gets the huge, like the, the larger salary. I wouldn't even say huge. It's, it's like half of what Bobrovsky got a year ago, but he still gets a, a sizable pay raise and he gets the no move clause and he gets term. And it's, it just seems like things that the Canucks weren't willing to do. And instead they go to that bridge type contract with Brayden Holtby who has a stronger track record, but not recently.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the Holtby signing was I think kind of a relief for the Canucks knowing that, you know they they were going to lose Markstrom. And I think Canucks fans were prepared for that possibility. But it just kind of signaled, okay, we're we're letting Markstrom move on. But hey, we've at least got a goalie in here that can, you know, hopefully has the Stanley Cup. He has the the Vesna Trophy. He hasn't played that well in the last couple of seasons. So, um, but maybe with some work with Ian Clark, maybe you know he could, he can maybe reverse that. Um, we also have Demco, so. You know, theoretically, I think it could be a 50 50 split. Um, I think Colby be probably, because of experience, is as, as a slight favorite here for uh, for having more starts, but at least there's, you know, at least it's not Demco and, you know, Mike Smith. Sorry, Oilers fans, but, you know, no, I it's, it's
0: <laughs> well, des- yeah. it's a well deserved shot across the bow.
1: <laughs> but Canucks have their own problems. So, you know. <laughs>
0: No, when you're, when you're thinking about goaltending, Ken Holland, he has this tenet where basically he thinks that maybe the top five or so goaltenders in the NHL are worth paying up for and anyone outside of that, like a a slight downgrade from that is not really worth spending on so He really believes in this fungibility of that that middle tier of goaltenders. And I think that there is a drop-off point where suddenly not paying for goaltending is a detriment. And I also believe that you have to have a system that fits your goaltender. And I think that Mike Smith is neither the goaltender who even fits that middle tier where, okay, this guy's just as replaceable as the next. No, he's worse. And the oiler system is not the system that props their goaltender up and makes them look better. They needed a Markstrom and they just lost out on mm. Markstrom to Calgary in that free agency bidding. So Markstrom was a guy at least last season and maybe the season before that where he was worth spending up for. He was one of the top five or so goaltenders in the league who could make a difference. You could play freewheeling firewagon hockey, and he was going to stand on his head and make a difference for you and make you look better than you were and give you a chance. But I wonder if there isn't also some mix. You mentioned Ian Clark, the goaltending coach, and maybe there's something about the way that the Canucks do their business that also helped Markstrom improve like this is this is the only stop where he really stopped pucks consistently at uh, at an above average level so I wonder if there isn't something about the sauce of the way that the Canucks do business that isn't going to help Demko in becoming a starter and help Holtby rediscover himself a little bit because the Capitals their defensive system has fallen off since Trotz left and his game started eroding before that he was terrible in their cup winning season and then Fa- rediscovered his game in the playoffs and, and they go on this legendary run. But he's otherwise he's been bad for three straight years now. So I, I wonder if there isn't something there where they can get almost a facsimile of what they got out of Markstrom.
1: Yeah, it's and and I think proof for that that what you see with Demko if you look at the um the goal saved above average as being negative and thinking oh there's all these goalies that are, that are better than Demco. And, you know, the Canucks are being, you know, are, are going to experience a huge drop off in, in net next season. If you're just looking at this past season numbers, yeah, there, there is an argument. I, I was listening to one podcast where I think somebody came on and said, um, and said there are 15 goalies in keeper league um, prospect goalies who are better than Demco. And I was like, Whoa. And, you know, I looked at the list and thought maybe, maybe five of them are, are goalies that I would pick over Demko partially because Demko will play this season and some of these goalies will not be playing in the NHL so um, you have to go all with Mark Stern, you have to go all the way back to when he was acquired from the Florida Panthers in the Luongo deal um, when he came to the Canucks he was he wasn't really developed in the Florida system. So he was just, um, it, it was just kind of like taking a, um, you were just kind of taking a raw goalie here. Um, he wasn't ready for the NHL. The Canucks put him in in one game and I think he just, you know, and he looked out of, out of his league. Um, at one point you may remember the Canucks sent him down to the AHL and he needed to clear waivers and he did. So every team in the NHL, could have picked up Markstrom off waivers and all decided not to. So this I think has a lot to do with the work of Ian Clark, where he was able to he was able to fundamentally Change Markstrom's game, um, you know, not just his, his technique, but also his mindset. Um, he used to be a goalie who, you know, let in a bad goal and, you know, really would let him bother him. Um, but, you know, Clark really helped him with both his technique, playing the angles, his mental game as well. And and gradually, you know, he became the goalie that he is, the last dominant goalie in the last year and a half, two seasons, um, bailing the Canucks out in, in a lot of games. Um, it's not to say that Demco will follow the same path. Um, but there is that, Potential And goalies do need some time to develop. You don't see the, you know, obviously we don't see goalies that come out of the draft right away and start with NHL teams. They need that. They need that longer development period. They need to play junior or college for a bit. They need to go to the AHL for probably a couple of seasons minimum before they are really ready for the NHL. And Demko has had, he's had five years for this. I think there is, I think he'll have a better season. Um, Not, I don't think he'll put up the mark. He'll he'll have that, that Markstrom level game saving ability. Um, But that, that, that might be all they need. And of course they've got Holtby as well, who may fit in better with the Canucks defensive system uh, than he has with, with Washington's. Um, not to say again that he'll replace Markstrom either, but I think it's a case where Travis Green may roll with a hot hand. Um, keep in mind as well, we're also looking at a con- likely condensed season, which is going to mean more back-to-back games, which is, means that teams are going to need to have two goalies that can play. And so it could be end up being close to a 50-50 split here.
0: Lots to unpack there, Ian. You mentioned the podcast that you heard uh, about where Demko's ranking 15 goalies ahead of him. I believe that was on the Keeping Carlson, uh, their most re- recent uh, podcast. Friend, friends of this podcast. and
1: Yes. Uh, um, yeah, so Dollar I just Hockey, mentioned I Patriots. didn't want to... Yeah. And it's a, it's a great podcast. I didn't want to mention it by name. I criticized them or criticize the, uh, the guests They're you know, they're, they're all really great people, but it was, and I even told, I even mentioned on Twitter that I, I disagreed with it. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was a bit of a reach and from fantasy purposes. I think that's because I tend to place greater value on players that can contribute in the present, um, as opposed to somebody that's, you know, may, may contribute in the future. Not, you know, not, not in all cases, but if I have two equal players, then the one that's going to help me in the short term has higher value as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the bird in the hand is better than two in the bush.
1: Yeah. That's where I'm going with that.
0: <laughs> um, and then you mentioned goalies not being ready right away. And of course that's Carter Hart accepted, right? Uh, otherwise the Philly fans will come in and, and start beating the crap out of us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always a few <laughs> exceptions there, and uh, maybe, maybe Askarov out of Nashville be be an exception. Maybe the Russian goalies that are coming in, like Shesterkin or um, even Sorokin for the Islanders, you know, there's going to be a few exceptions, but generally speaking, they're going to need that progression. They need, they're going to need to play in some you know, higher-level start in the higher-level leagues before they can um, move on to the NHL.
0: Well, both those Russian goalies—they played in the KHL for what seems like a decade, so they—they they follow your theory perfectly. Um, when you were describing Markstrom coming to Vancouver as this basically this, this raw goaltender, all I was thinking of was this giant dirty puddle of just potential, and it just it could completely blow up on you like a bus drives through and it just splashes water on everyone and the whole situation is ruined but then the Canucks it seems like they they harnessed that and they you know they got them into some freezer blocks and they they froze them and they turned them into this rock solid piece that that suddenly is is actually stopping pucks for you and it just I, I don't know that's a strange analogy that came to mind.
1: Yeah, I think it just, just yeah, kind of chiseling away, kind of refining, refining him to to the goalie he's become today. But yeah, there was a completely different goalie, it seems like, uh, compared to what he is today.
0: Right, and now he may be stopping pucks for a division rival up to maybe fifteen times this coming season, if uh, if the Canucks and, and Flames. Are, are playing in the all-Canadian division and they do face off in a series. So is Calgary, is their whole off-season plan just to import half of the Canucks and, and see if that doesn't augment their lineup?
1: You kind of wonder. I mean, there's four ex-Canucks that are now property of the Flames. So we've got Markstrom, as we mentioned, Chris Tanev, Josh Levo, and even third-string goalie Louis Domingue. You know, which makes makes you wonder. There's nothing illegal about what the Flames are doing, but it just it kind of scratches your head as to why they're why they seem to be targeting the Canucks. Is it just sort of a you know sort of a coincidence, or or hey, we can you know we can take some players from a division rival here because um, we know we could potentially face them a lot this year. So I mean, it might be a good might be a good strategy for the Flames. It might you know, it, it might add some fuel to the fire of the rivalry. I think it does. I mean, in, in a lot of cases, you could argue that Calgary is Vancouver's biggest rival and and has been through the years for the times that they've met during the playoffs. And um, so I, you know, this could be a this could potentially be, you know, very, very interesting to see how this will play out. Um, I, I can't really say what, why it is. It was just if it was just a coincidence that they added these players or if it's uh, if they said, hey, you know what? We have this opportunity to to take these players from a division rival, a team that appears to be on the rise.
0: Well, Calgary's got this history of taking goaltenders from division rivals. Talbot, most recently from the Oilers, he had some pit stops along the way, but he, he comes to them from a division rival, Jonas Hiller, and you go all the way back to Mika Kiprasov coming over from the Sharks, it, it seems like this is how they find their goaltenders, because they haven't drafted and developed one since what, like, Mike Vernon?
1: Hmm. Well, as Kippersoff was the last real true number one goalie that they've had. And ever since Kippersoff retired, it's been, they've just brought in this whole rotation of goalies that they've thought, you know what, maybe we'll give this guy a chance and see if it'll work out. And none of them really have. Um, so I, for for Flames fans, they they might not like the contract for Markstrom. Um, I kind of don't think it will age well, but that's more the the end of the contract. We're not talking about a you know a Louis Erickson bust level of a contract here. I think it will work out very well for them in, at least in the beginning, and it gives them stability at a position that they just simply haven't had since uh, since Kipersoff retired.
0: Yeah, and you've got to hope that there isn't that magic sauce to what what made Markstrom look as good as he did last season for the Canucks, and that it doesn't all fall apart on him the way that the Calgary Flames goaltending kind of fell apart towards the tail end of that Dallas Stars series that it seemed like was one that was there for the taking for them, and then the Stars go all the way to the Cup final and. And the Flames are are left shaking their head at another first round loss.
1: Yeah, I kind of thought the Flames would win that series. I wasn't big on Dallas at all coming into the playoffs, and they they totally proved me wrong in knocking off Colorado and Vegas after they uh, after they took out Calgary. And Calgary was very close to taking a three one series lead. They looked strong in that series against Winnipeg. So, I mean, if you're if you're doing power Canadian team power rankings, I think you've you know, you've, you've got to give the Flames, you know, some love there in terms of, uh, you know, really, I think what is a, a group of teams, I think, from one to six that you could, you know, you you could argue you could put in any order. I think the consensus is that Autumn, Ottawa would finish at the bottom of the division just simply because of their rebuilding. But um, any of those other teams, I mean, you could, uh, you know, you you could... You know, you could mix them up in a drum and, uh, you know, and really you might have uh, better luck than you would if you were to try to pick them yourself.
0: Yeah, the Flames, they really need their stars to get back to being stars for them. And if they are, then that's that's a scary team.
1: Yeah. And I think a big part of the flames too, is not just that they've got that, that goal is the key is what is Johnny Goudreau? What, what is he going to be next season? Is he going to be that, you know, that, that point per game player, um, that he's being the guy that can, you know, that, that can get close to a hundred points. Um, he's never quite reached that in his career, but he's been, you know, 99 in 2018, 19, um, or is he the, the player that we saw last season was still pretty good, but um, didn't really, you know, playoffs, of course, not, you know, not the type of player that succeeds in the playoffs. Um, what about Sean Monahan? There was a big drop off from him. Like there was just every Flames player across the board uh, fell off when it came to offense. So it wasn't just, it, you know, Markstrom solves probably solves the goaltending problem, but, but you're looking at, Offensive, offensively, every one of their key players, Kachuk, Goudreau, Lindholm, Monahan, Giordano, all fell off last season. So, you know, which of these players, if any, are, are due for rebounds this season?
0: They may all be, but segueing back to the Canucks, thus far, their stars have continued to be stars and Pedersen is, he's only on the rise and we'll see where that rocket ship stops climbing but it it hasn't it's still on the rise yet so you have to count on them getting the offensive production from those guys but where is the secondary scoring coming from on this team
1: well when you're looking at the Canucks lines how they would set up right now is you'd have Pedersen of course on the top line and it looks like it's going to be JT Miller and Brock Besser um, as his wingers so I, you call that, we used to call that the the 649 line because you line up their numbers and that's what you have. Uh, second line would be centered by Bo Horvat, um, Tanner Pearson on his left. And so really Toffoli's spot would have either been on the top line or on the second line. Toffoli was a great fit on the top line in the first unit power play, which is, you know, why it kind of sucks for the Canucks to lose him. Um so it looks to me, I, I think it really comes down to, to two players. Um, the first one, you, and both of them, you might laugh at me for this, but the first one especially, uh, which is Louis Erickson, who really has, at this point, really can't score. Um, but at the si- same time, he helps that line in terms of, their, you know, in, in terms of their advanced stats, in terms of their possession numbers, just being the defensive conscience on that line. He's still got a pretty good defensive game, although you shouldn't be playing, paying the type of player that he is as much money as you are to do what he's doing. Um, the other player who will make more sense offensively, but um, is, is a liability defensively, is Jake Vertanen. Um, if Vertanen sticks on this line, he could be in for uh, you know a, an improved season. I think potentially we'd be looking at a breakout. He's coming into his fourth season. Um, it didn't sound like the Canucks were going to stick with him. after Vertanen was a healthy scratch, remember, at the beginning of the play-in series against Minnesota. And it looked like Travis Green had had enough with him. Um, I only think they only came back to Vertanen because – because because option a and option b and option c who we mentioned before didn't work out or didn't sign with the canucks so they, they had to make their their arbitration offer and you know he they accepted and uh, he's he's back with the canucks so you know shotgun jake as they call him here is you know, if he sticks on this line, um, I, I think he's a pretty good bet for 20 goals and, and 45 points if, uh, if if he can stick with that and try to get into back into Travis Green's good books. But that has a lot to do with um, improved play defensively, um, commitment to being a professional both on and off the ice, which um, which you know, rumor has it he has not shown.
0: Vertanen feels a little bit like. What for the Canucks? What Kapanen was for the Leafs?
1: Yeah, I think there's a good comparison there. I mean, eventually the Leafs said, "Okay, we need to needed to move on from Kapanen." I think they would have preferred to keep him, but um, they're against it as well. I think the Canucks just as well could have moved on from from Jake. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's a good comparison to be made in terms of. Uh, um, in terms of that, whether you, you know, you, neither player is, is, a top line player, I don't think. Um, but is, you know, are they a second line player? Maybe. Um, are they a third line player? You would say they're at least that. So, you know, middle six forward.
0: Yeah. And, and, and very toolsy and you can get enough goals out of them, but are you getting the net impact that you want to out of this young player that, they were a first round pick, they were much hyped and you just, you see the tools. And so you expect more than necessarily what you're getting.
1: Yeah. And I mean, with Vertanen, and that was, you know, he, he was drafted as sort of the local kid, um, Jake from Abbotsford to call him um, one of his many nicknames um, that he had this, you know, big forward expected to be a power forward, but he doesn't always play that, that type of game he plays a bit physical but not you know not not over the edge physical he's got that he's got that speed he was able to score in junior um I think part of the problem is that the Canucks got a little too excited with with him It sort of rushed him up I think it was his um year after he got drafted where he was he was on the Canucks he clearly wasn't ready uh so they sent him down to the AHL for a bit and he just kind of you know kind of took him a while even when they called him up for good um i wasn't so sure that he was quite ready yet but um it seemed though that they that they wanted him to be there and and you know if you get picked to sixth overall you're going to get quite a bit more rope than somebody that say you know has got a you know that's drafted in the third or fourth round um who's got to go out and prove themselves so if, if jake were drafted in that if he were drafted in outside of the first round, you know, he, he definitely wouldn't have been rushed the way he was, but, you know, these types of forwards, they need to get some games under their belt. Um, it's possible that he, you know, even if he doesn't have a big season this year, it could be another year or two away. Um, Canucks fans might not be happy with the way he's progressed. It might be a case of, well, I need to, you know, he needs to get a start somewhere else, but um, patience could pay off here.
0: Absolutely. I think that's the um, (laughs) that's the motto that Canucks fans wish, uh, wish their front office had followed a lot more over the years and maybe they'd be reaping better benefits for them. But (laughs) they are where they are. And we are where we are. Uh, Ian, you've got to go. So um, can you plug some stuff before you get out of here?
1: Uh, sure. Let's do that. Uh, Dauber hockey. I'm the managing editor at Dauber hockey. So a year old position there. Um, we're, uh, the fantasy guide, uh, should plug that first. Um, just came out a couple of days ago. So, um, you want to win your fantasy league. Um, it's worth your while to, uh, to purchase yourself a copy of that. You can go to the, uh, go to Dauber hockey and, uh, click on the banner ad and it'll take you into the um into the fantasy guide. And of course there's also some wonderful products over there like the prospects guide. Um, there's also the um I was also, also going to mention the the fantasy hockey geek. There's the uh ultimate pack that you can get as well. Um As well, I I cover ramblings on Saturday and Sunday over there. Uh, Some Fridays as well. I tend to alternate those with Mike Clifford, who does other ramblings during the week as well. So you can check out our uh, ramblings. Uh, Top 100 uh, Roto Rankings, I've also taken that on myself as well. Um, Updated on the 15th of every month. So if you have a draft coming up, um, I, I mean, I... I don't I don't really want to do any drafts for a while not until we know what the season's going to look like but I understand some leagues out there it's pretty much carved in stone when their drafts are and dates and so forth um even for me I have a a keeper league where I have to start our off season activity soon for doing our, uh, doing our auction picks. Cause it's a bit of a slow draft. So, you know, maybe those, those rankings, not just my top 100 roto rankings, but Dauber's top 300 keeper players, goaltender rankings, um, uh, that stuff might help you out as well there. So, um, lots of other tools there. If you want to go chat, uh, fantasy with, uh, uh, with you, Steve and some others, uh, you can always check out the forum as well. If you're, uh, if you're bored and looking for, uh, looking to chat with some other like-minded people there. Lots of stuff
0: for folks to check out in the fantasy hockey world. Ian, this was fantastic. Thank you for coming on the podcast once again.
1: All right. Well, thanks for having me on.
0: All right, everyone, that is our show. Stick tap to Ian Gooding, editor for DauberHockey.com. Him and the Dauber Hockey gang continue to pump out uh, excellent content even throughout this hiatus. So head on over there and check them out for all your fantasy hockey needs. Uh, If you like the show, please like, subscribe, review wherever you get your podcasts, and we will catch you on the next one.